we've been, we've been talking about joy. And um, thanks team, you guys are great. We've been talking about joy and you know, joy is one of those things where it's like everyone wants it, but we struggle with how to get it. If there was one word that I believe would describe the life that God ultimately designed you for, it would be a word, it would be a life that is marked by the word joy. You know, Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead to heal you, to save you, to forgive you of your sin and to make you whole. But ultimately, the wholeness that you were created for was meant to be a life of joy. Like, like what is life like in heaven? I believe that we would use words like pleasure, ecstasy, thrill, awe, wonder, amazement. I love how C.S. Lewis said, all of the pleasures that we, this is my paraphrase, all the pleasures that we pursue in life are just cheap substitutes for joy. The real thing that God created us for. See, life in heaven is, is ecstatic, thrilling, ridiculous joy. And that's the kind of life that God created you for. But I know that that becomes difficult for a lot of us because it's like we equate that a lot with like our emotional state and we all struggle with our emotions. Like because we don't always have happy emotions. Sometimes we've got the exact opposite of that. And so we struggle on this journey. It's like I'm supposed to have joy. I instinctively believe that I'm supposed to have joy. But life has a way of giving me all kinds of emotions other than joy. Wait, are you with me tonight? You're being a little bit quiet all of a sudden. All right, lean in. So joy is what God created you for, but a lot of times it's a struggle to get there because life happens to us, you know? And sometimes we, we hear these messages about joy and God wants joy for you, and we, we leave feeling worse than we were when we walked in because now not only do I know that I don't have joy, but I feel bad that I don't have joy because I feel like I'm supposed to have it. And so what we're talking about is how to get to joy, how to get to joy, and we're gonna get there, all right? So good. Um, when I was in, in high school, my dad bought a 1968 Mustang hatchback. It was very cool. Anyone know what a 1968 Mustang looks like? Anyone? Yes, two people in the back row, three people in the back row. Awesome. How many of you were born before 1968? You don't actually, you don't have to raise your hand. <laughs> There's a, hallelujah, let's go. Give it up for people who have a track record faithfulness and trustworthiness and goodness, right? All right, so my dad had this Mustang and it was super cool and the outside had all been restored so it looked awesome. I love driving that thing because I look like the, the most amazing kid, you know? Um, the inside, however, had not been restored and it was trashed. Also, the engine and everything that made the car work, not restored. So it almost did not drive. But it looked so cool. And so I was out driving it one time um, because I wrecked my actual car, but that's a different story. And I'm driving this thing, and one of the things that was broken on the Mustang is uh, the gas gauge didn't work. So you never really knew how much gas was in the car. And so my dad had like developed this system of a notebook where, where every time he filled up with gas, he would write down the odometer reading so that you could like track how many miles and you, some of you know what I'm talking about? Have, you have done this before. You have done this before. All right. And so, so, but you know, I'm a teenager. I don't do math. And so, <laughs> at least not willingly. And so, and so I'm driving this car. I have no idea how much gas is in this thing. But it is going until I hit a hill. 
and I'm stuck on the side of the road. My dad had to come get me, and uh, that was the last time I ever drove the Mustang. <laughs> you know, every single one of us, we, we, we have a gauge in our soul. You know, some of you live your whole life riding on empty in your soul. You know, life has a way of demanding things from us. Life demands a lot of things from us. If you do anything in life, there are demands on you in life. You know, if you have children, there are demands on you. This morning, my two younger kids were fighting at breakfast. So there was a demand on me to solve it, to get shoes on them, to get hopefully teeth brushed and hair brushed to get them into church on time. There was a demand on me to do that. If you have a job, how many of you had jobs? Can we just thank God for jobs? It was a very, very lackluster thank you. I think the South Campus outshouted you on that. I don't know. But listen, if you have a job, thank God for a job, right? But, but if you have a job, there is a demand on you. You've got to show up. You've got to do stuff, right? You've got to do what your job requires or else what's going to happen? You ain't going to have any job left. <laughs> there are dem- if you have a relationship with someone, there's a demand on you to show up, to spend time, to love, right? And so there are demands on you. And the problem in our world is that we tend to be really overcommitted, And we tend to put a lot of demands on ourselves, a lot of demands on ourselves. And so we have this struggle where it feels like things require something from me, whether it's my job or or, or my relationships or or just trying to manage my finances. And and we tend to run our soul down to empty because we got these demands on us. And when that happens, we get really frustrated because riding on empty does not feel good. And you and I have all done it. And you ride on empty too long, and guess what? You crash, you burn, you stall, you're broken down on the side of the road. But we tend to run on empty. And normally what we do when we feel like we're running on empty is we say, well, I've got to cut out the things that are putting demands on me. You know, like, I'm gonna get frustrated with my kids because they needed me to show up this morning. Or I'm mad at my boss because he wants me to do X, Y, and Z project, and it's all a little bit ridiculous, and, you know, I... I I got limits over here because I'm riding on empty. You know, we get frustrated with the person that we love. So what do you mean you want me to pay attention to you? Right? Sometimes that's how we feel. Fact. Oh, you don't want to agree to it because it's too true, too real. And so so we ride on empty. And we think if I just cut off or stall out the things that are putting demands on me, then I won't ride on empty anymore. But let me tell you, that is not God's plan for you. It's not God's plan for you. Because the truth is, is that if there are no demands on your life, you won't have any purpose in life. And you know, we live in this world where it's like, well, I can't have too many demands on my life. And that's why a lot of dudes spend almost their entire life playing video games and watching porn. Because I... Because I don't feel like I need to show up for things. In fact, if I do need to show up for things, I'm frustrated about it. Because the world has taught me, you don't need to show up. Because things shouldn't put a demand on you. Things shouldn't be required of you. Yes, they should be required of you. You know, God's destiny, God's plan for your life is that you would have good flowing off of your life. David says, you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. He says, I don't run on empty, I run on the overflow. Because the truth is, is that this world needs you to show up. This world needs you to pour out your strength. This world needs you to pour out your wisdom. This world needs needs you to pour out the perfect design that God put within you. 
The world needs you to show up. And guess what? God wanted there to be demands on your life. You know, your kids, fathers, they need you to show up. Yeah, they're fighting at breakfast. You know what they need? Not for you to be frustrated and lose your head. Do you know what they need? They need you to show up and be a leader and a, and a man of God and say, this is how we handle conflict. This is how we deal with things, right? The world needs you to show up. So the answer is not get rid of the demands. The answer is how do I live in overflow? How do I live in overflow? So I'm not riding on empty because the world needs me to show up, amen? This is what joy is. Joy is living in the overflow. It's like, I got what I need for today and I got more than enough for today. So I can meet the challenges of my life today. I'm overflowing, but I won't be overflowing with joy if I'm constantly running on empty. All right, so, so what I wanna do is teach you for the next few minutes how to not run on empty so that you can show up. Cutting out the demands will not help. It will make sure that you're always running on exhaust fumes because you never fill yourself up because you don't have a reason to fill yourself up because you don't think that anyone needs you to show up. But the world needs you to show up. How are we gonna live in the overflow? Matthew chapter 25, Jesus tells a story. Verse one, he says, that is not Matthew chapter 25. Uh, excuse me for a second. I'm not putting my marker in the right, just talk amongst yourselves. All right, I'm there, I got it. Matthew 25, you with me? At that, at that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. There's some archaic language in here. 10 virgins is talking about like 10 bridesmaids getting ready for a wedding. How many of you have been a bridesmaid before? Yeah. Is that exciting? Again, very lackluster. Who's been a bridesmaid before and it's like, I had to buy a dress. It was annoying. <laughs> All right. Where are my married people at, huh? Yeah. Where are the people at who want to be married one day? A lot more of you. Church is a great place to meet somebody. Come on, somebody. All right, all right, all right. Ten bridesmaids waiting for the bridegroom. The bridegroom is just a groom. Who is getting married in the next couple months, next year? There's a few of you who's getting married. Hey. All right, let's go. All right, so ten bridesmaids. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. Oh, there was drama among the bridesmaids. That's not a surprise. Anyone had drama at a wedding before? It's there. It's a real thing, right? Drama. All right. Five of them were foolish and five of them were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but didn't take any oil with them. So they had these lamps because, you know, they didn't have lights in their homes. And so they're waiting for the groom to show up and they took these lamps with them so that there would be light wherever they were going. Five of them took extra oil. Five did not. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming and they all became drowsy and they fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, here's the groom, come out to meet him. We can have the wedding now. Dude was running late. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both of us and you. 
Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. Get your own oil. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the groom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch because you don't know the day or the hour. Hmm. It's kind of a, a disturbing story. And then Jesus just ends it. So we can learn a couple things from the story about running on empty. See, the point of the story is be prepared. Be ready. Have what you need in your tank for whatever life throws at you. And ultimately, it's about waiting for Jesus to show up in your life when he comes to make the world right and making sure you're ready for that. But what I wanna tell you is that there are principles in that story that are gonna help you not to run on empty in your everyday life. Here's the first thing that we can extract from this story. You ready for it? All right, number one, life is going to require things from me that I didn't expect or plan. Life is going to require things from me that I did not expect or plan because the five chicks that showed up with just the lamp thought it's enough, but they didn't expect him to be late. And here's the thing, we run on empty a lot of times because we expect our lives to go according to our plan. We want it to go according to our plan. And we expect other people to operate according to our plan. But as long as our expectation on other people means that they have to do what I want them to do in order for me to be okay about my life, I'll never be okay. Because let me tell you a truth. This is not an easy truth. This is not a fun truth. But it is the truth, so it will make you free. Here's the truth. Life will not go according to your plan. And people will not do what you expect them to do. And here's what we can do about that. We can be bitter about that. Or we can understand that that's the way that the world works, but it doesn't matter because my tank was full. I had what I needed. So life isn't gonna go according to plan. Some of you have had devastating things happen to you. Honestly, because some other people made some really stupid choices. And you're over here mad at God, mad at people, frustrated, disillusioned, cynical, and you're riding on E because you're still expecting things to go the way you want them to go. But they ain't going the way you want them to go. So what are you gonna do about it? Well, you have to accept the fact that it's not gonna happen the way you want it to happen all the time. That's why you've got to have your tank full for whatever you encounter today. The second truth that we can extract from this story is this. I can't rely on other people to give me what only God can give me. Because you know, you know what happened as soon as they ran out of oil? What'd they do? They turned to their friends and they're like, give me some of yours. And they're like, I can't give you mine. And the truth is, is that a lot of us run on E because we expect other people to fill our tank. We expect other people to give us joy. We expect other people to give us peace. We expect our security in life to be provided to us by other people. And so when they don't give us what we expect for them to give us, then we ride on E. We're frustrated because I'm looking at, you know, the person that I love, or I'm looking at my kids, or I'm looking at my parents, or I'm looking at my teacher, I'm looking at my boss, and I'm being like, if you would just give me what I need, then I'd have peace in life. That's not how peace works, and that is not how joy works. Because other people cannot give you what only God was designed to give you. You know, we have a problem in our world. I've heard other people say it this way. 
It's a problem with self-differentiation. In other words, we don't know who we are. And so what we do is we expect everyone else to fill in the gaps for us. And we become like a person without walls, no structure, no definition. And so someone who does seem to have some structure, who does seem to have some concept about their own identity, we just latch onto them. And we're like, well, you seem to have your act together. I don't, but maybe if I'm attached to you, then I'll feel more at peace. But the truth is, is that that will never bring you peace because you've become a parasite because you don't know who you are. And you start using people and manipulating people to get what you need or want out of them. But the truth is, they can't give you you because they didn't make you. There's only one who can give you you, and it's the one who made you. All right. The third truth that we can extract out of the story is that I am the only one who has responsibility for the condition of my soul. I'm responsible for what's in my soul. You are not. The church is not. The church is not. Your parents are not. Your spouse is not. Your kids are not. You are responsible for the condition of your soul. Here's the thing. It's like, I could be driving that. I've heard people talk like this before. You know, I could be driving the Mustang. And it crashes on me. You know, it not crashes, but it, it, you know, runs out of gas and it's broken down on the side of the road. And do you know what I could do? I could be like, Dad, why didn't you fill up the gas tank for me? Do you know what my dad would have said? Uh, you're the one driving it. You're the one who fills up the gas tank. Oh, maybe some of us weren't ready for that level of responsibility. You're the one with the tank. You're the one who determines whether or not it's full. But I'm like, I don't want that responsibility. Well, you got it. So it's time to rise to the occasion and to say, I have a tank. I will live with it full. My fullness will not depend on somebody else. It will not depend on people online. It will not depend on a boyfriend or a girlfriend. It will not depend on my teachers or my boss. It will not depend on my pastor or my church. My tank is up to me. All right? And here's, and here's, here's why we know that this is God's design. Because in the Psalms, David is at like an emotional crisis point. Actually, if you read the Psalms, like every other Psalm, David is in an emotional crisis. Which is why it is really good to read the Psalms. But he's in this crisis, and in Psalm 42, I love what he says. He starts a conversation with his own soul. And he says, why, my soul, are you downcast? Why are you disturbed within me? And let me just say that is a really good place to start. When you're like, I don't got joy. I don't feel peace. I feel frustrated. I feel sad. It's a really good place to start and ask yourself, why? Why do I feel that way? In other words, investigate the root cause. It is important because if you brush away the root cause, you'll never solve the root of the issue. So he says, why am I here? But then he takes authority for what's going on inside of him. And he says, put your hope in God. I will praise him. Wait, I feel downcast. I feel disturbed. And he says, but here's what I will do. I will praise. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you. I don't feel good, so I'm gonna remind myself who you are. Oh, guys, let's not play games about the importance of being in church on Sundays. I know that, that it's like the normal pattern to come like once a month. Here's the truth. Your soul will not run on anything above a quarter tank 
if you only come into God's presence to praise him with his people once a month. Like it was designed every week for a reason. Do you know why? Because your soul needs it. Your soul needs to be in the presence of God. Your soul needs to praise God. Your soul needs the encouragement of other people to say, turn your eyes to heaven. Let's remind ourselves who God is when I think of all he's done and the battles that he brought me over. Hallelujah. And you might be like, I can't think of anything he's done. But that's why we're in church. Because the person next to you, their faith is going to expand your faith. And be like, I know where you are. I've been there before. Come on, sing with me. And then Corinne just, you know, goes nuts. And you're like, I have to praise. I, I, I have to praise. All right. Corinne, you are amazing. The hand of God is on you. All right, so here's the thing. You have the power to take authority over the condition of your soul. If bitterness is flowing out of you, you have the authority over your soul to stop that. If frustration is flowing out of you, you have authority over your soul. You have authority over your soul. So a few things I wanna give you that you have the power over when it comes to your soul. You with me? Number one, I'm gonna do this quickly because then we're gonna worship again. Number one, I have the power to believe the word of God for myself. In fact, you are the only one who can believe the word of God for yourself. See, I grew up in a family where I have some amazing people in my extended family who are people full of faith. You know, all four of my grandparents were believers by the time I was born. They believed in God. They were strong, faith-filled men and women. My two grandmas are still alive today, both of them in church this morning. One in her 90s, one almost 90. And they were here. And I know that their prayers have surrounded my life. I also know that my parents deposited the word of God, the truth of God into my life as a child. But at the end of the day, while that is great, and other people can encourage you and challenge you, and while the prayers of parents and grandparents are highly effective, the truth is, is that their revelation of God will never be my revelation of God. I have to have my own revelation of God. And I've got to decide for myself whether or not I believe the word of God. My grandma can't believe for me. She can pray for me, she can encourage me, she can challenge me, but I have to believe for me. And for those of you who are college students tonight, I wanna say that the greatest thing that could happen to you during college is that you make a decision for yourself that you believe the word of God. That is the greatest thing that you could do. I believe this for myself. I believe the promises of God. I believe the gospel for myself. But no one else can believe for you. No one else can believe for you. And some of us are waiting for other people to have faith for us. And we make other people responsible for our relationship with God. And you know what happens when you do that? You ride on E. And then life comes and demands something from you out of the blue you did not expect, and you are broken down on the side of the road. And you're like, I don't even know if I believe in God anymore. Well, if your belief in God was dependent on what other people did, then you never really had personal belief. Listen, I, I just feel like I have to speak to this. I don't know if this is for someone in the room, and I did not speak to this in the earlier services. I know that there are people who have been hurt by church. And I know firsthand, because I've grown up in it, that church is not perfect, and people in church are not perfect. But your faith does not rise and fall on the sinfulness or sinlessness of the people around you. Your faith rises and falls on one thing and one thing alone, the gospel of Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection from the grave. That is the foundation of your faith. But is it your faith? Is it your faith? 
All right, so, so in the book of John, Jesus tells us, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. And while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so it will be even more fruitful. So let me just say that God's design is that you would be fruitful. God's design is not nobody needs anything from me so I can sit around all day on the beach or play video games all day. That's not God's design. God's design is that you'd be fruitful, that you'd make a difference, that you'd have something good, something sweet to offer the world, all right? But he goes on and he said, and God's like, and I'll do what I need to for your life to be fruitful. But he says, you are already clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. In other words, you will be effective and powerful because of the word. And then he says in verse four, so therefore remain in me and I remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So we don't have vines and branches in Western Pennsylvania because it is too cold. But what we do have is we've got big trees with trunks and branches on them. Same idea. He's like, you're a branch on a tree. And my God, can you produce fruit? All kinds of good stuff coming off of your branch. But everyone knows that if a storm blows through and breaks that branch off the tree in your front yard, and that branch is laying in your grass, Everybody knows what's gonna happen to that branch. It's not gonna produce anything. It's gonna wither up, and it is gonna make really good firewood for your summer bonfires. And that's about it, right? But it's not gonna be fruitful. Why? Because the only way a branch can be fruitful is if it is connected to the trunk. Why? Because the trunk is what supplies the branch with what it needs in order to be fruitful. It supplies it with water. It supplies it with nutrients. It supplies it with DNA, but if it is connected to the trunk, it will produce. If it is not, it will not produce. And so here's what I'm challenging you to do today. Connect yourself to Jesus. Plug in to Jesus. Depend on Jesus. You can't, you can't have someone else do this for you. It's only what you can do, all right? So, so I have the power, first, to believe the word of God for myself. Second, I have the power to trust God to be a supply for what I need. See, the truth is, is that as a father, there's a lot of demand on me. And I do not have all the answers, but that is okay because my father is a perfect father and he gives me the supply that I need in order to be the kind of father that my children need. But whether or not I trust God to supply is on me. The moments I get overwhelmed are always the moments that I haven't chosen to trust. The moments where I feel exasperated are always a product of me deciding not to trust. Psalm 42, again, going back to this psalm, David says, all day long, God's promises of love pour over me. I love that. It's like a constant waterfall of God's supply. You've got it at work. You've got it in the middle of the night. You've got it when you're solving problems at home. You've got it when you're opening your pool. You've got the promise of God, the love of God pouring over you every moment of your life. But then David says, through the night I sing his songs for my prayer to God has become my life. I will say to God, you are my mountain of strength. How could you forget me? It's not like, how could you forget me? It's like, no, it is impossible for you to forget me. You are a mountain of strength. And so what David is saying, again, he's taking authority over the condition of his soul and what is one of the weapons that he uses in his arsenal in this battle for joy? What's the weapon? 
He sings. All through the night, I sing. Now, I know that there are some people, and you are a singer. And there are some people, and it's like, please do not be a singer. <laughs> it's not about singing. It's not about music. It's about praise. And here's the truth. No one else can praise for you. I mean, Kells is on fire. I feel like, Kel I feel like there are times where Kells literally goes into the stratosphere of like the eighth heaven or something. And we're all down here like, wow. But let me tell you, he can't praise for you. And a lot of us mistake praise. Because we're like, well, the band was really good and they were on fire and I sang along. That's not praise. Praise is when you put truth of God, the truth of God into your own mouth. And you sing it out of your own mouth in order to tell your soul and your being who God is and what God has done. And I do not want to be a church that watches good praise. Because that's not praise. And there's no power in a musical performance. Right? The power is in whether or not you open your mouth and start to praise God for who he is. And let me tell you, Kels can't praise for you. Your pastor can't praise for you. Corinne can't praise for you. You can praise for you. And let me speak to you who are on the worship team. Hey, don't let your only moments of praise be when you're on the stage. Because you learn praise when no one's watching. Because praise ultimately is not a performance. Praise is something that you learn when it's just you and God. I have the power to believe the word of God for myself. I have the power to trust God to be my supplier. And I have the power to praise. Some of you write on E because when you talk to God, you don't ever praise him. You just go to God with all of your needs. And go to God with your needs. There's nothing wrong with that. But you will be, I have been, sometimes more stressed out after praying because the whole time I'm praying, all I'm doing is rehearsing all of the things I don't like about my life. And I never take a moment to say, actually, but here's who you are, God. Because it's one thing to say, God, I need you to provide for me. But it's a very different thing to say, God, I thank you that you are my provider. That's the difference between praise all right, you have the power to praise in something very similar but not the same and we need to differentiate the two. You also have the power to thank God. You have the power to thank God. That's why um, Paul says, and I don't have it on the screen, but Paul says, present your requests to God. Be anxious for nothing, but in all things, present your requests to God. Anyone remember the next phrase? With thanksgiving. So he says, go to God and tell him what you need, but then back it up with your thankfulness. Why? Because you have the authority for the condition of your soul, and thankfulness shifts what's going on in your soul. Amen? I started this thing with, with the little kids um, before bed every night. Honestly, I did it for myself, but I also did it because I want to teach them something. I am not great at being thankful. I, I live in like five years in the future. I, I, I'm like, as soon as I saw that 75 people gave their life, to, over 75 people gave their life to Jesus at Amplify last weekend, you know, everyone's like, this is amazing. And I'm like, what do we gotta do to get to 750? You're like, that's where I'm at. That's where I'm at. And I live in that place. Anyone else with me? I know some people who are entrepreneurial or visionary, that's where we live. I'm like, down, I'm, I'm down the road. And I'm never satisfied. I'm never satisfied. My God, 10 years ago, I would have like, you know, done a dance if, I, if I'd known that 75 people got saved in my church. You know, like 75 people came to my church, right? Like, but, here, but here's the truth. Here's the truth. 
I will live in frustration and agony and anxiety simply because it is not natural for me to be thankful. So I have to learn the art of thankfulness. Learn, maybe, maybe art is not the right word. I have to learn the discipline of thankfulness. So every night before we go to bed, I say to the little kids, I say, what was the best thing that happened to you today? And what are you thankful for today? And I love it because they have crazy answers. Like last night, what was the best thing that happened to you today? And a London was like, the popsicle. And I'm like, that's right, thank God for the popsicle. Like, let's learn how to be thankful for the popsicles. That's right. You know, and so I've got to learn to be thankful because it overrides the anxiety that wants to grip me. All right? So Isaiah 61, Jesus said, here's why I came into the world. To bestow on us a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Love that. He came to give you the oil of joy. Oil in the scriptures always represents the Holy Spirit. Or, or we could even understand it, it represents the presence of God. The, the, the attributes of heaven in the world. Heaven itself living inside of you. The oil of God is the Holy Spirit. But I love how Jesus says in Isaiah 61, because he quoted this when he was saying why he came. I love how he says, my oil is also the oil of joy. And see, you can run on empty when it comes to the presence of God in your life. You can run on empty when it comes to the Holy Spirit. In the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit filled people, and it was stunning, and it was shocking, and it was amazing. Acts chapter two. In Acts chapter four, do you know what happened? The exact same people were filled again with the Holy Spirit. A couple chapters later, filled again with the Holy Spirit. See, there's free refills. And you know why? Because there are demands on us every day. But God says to me, I'm not just gonna fill you one time. I'll fill you every time you ask. I'll fill you every time you ask. But a lot of us are like over here frustrated because it's like life takes so much from me. And God's like, come and get what you need. The oil of joy. But in, in Isaiah 61, and I'm wrapping up, so worship team, y'all can come. But in Isaiah 61, it talks about not just receiving the oil of joy, but it talks about exchanging things for joy. And I love it because a lot of times when we hear messages like this, we can interpret it as like, okay, then shove down your negative emotions. Like just shove down your despair, your depression, or your anxiety. But that's not the message. The message isn't shove it down or ignore it or act like it's not there. The message is exchange it which means be honest about what you feel and then apply the truth of God to what you feel and watch as the oil of joy meets you in that place. Mm, tonight, God is gonna pour out his oil of joy on you if you want it. Tonight, the oil of his presence, the oil of his spirit will fill you if you want it. But there is an exchange that happens. The exchange is to come and to say, God, I am feeling despair. Would you come and meet me with your oil of joy? Meet me with the Holy Spirit. Meet, with you, meet me with your presence. And that's another thing that I can't do for you. And a lot of Christians never really get what God has for them because we never learn how to be honest and vulnerable about what's really going on on the inside. And we think just put on a happy face, shove it all down, ignore all the bad stuff. But that's not what Isaiah 61 says. 
It was the oil of joy instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. God wasn't shaming people for feeling despair. He was inviting people who had despair to come and expose their despair to him so that he could dump out the oil of joy in that place. So I have the power to expose what is really in my heart to God. I have the power to do that. No one else can be honest for me. No one else can be vulnerable for me. No one else can expose what's living inside of me except for me. So tonight, God's gonna meet you with his oil of joy. Are you ready for it? But quickly, very practically, I just wanna challenge everyone to do one thing. I wanna challenge you to take five minutes out of your day. Some of you already do this, some of you do it for much more than five, and that is great. But if you don't do it, I wanna challenge you to take five minutes out of your day every day and just plug into Jesus. Take five minutes to be in the presence of God, five minutes to receive the oil of joy from God, five minutes just to reconnect yourself to that tree trunk. And in those five minutes, I'm gonna give you five things to do. You can write it down or take a picture of the screen. First, remind yourself who God is. What is the truth of God's word? What is the truth about who God is? And by the way, it's almost impossible to do that if you aren't in your word. So these five minutes are about soaking in his presence, but that doesn't replace knowing the word. Okay, so read the word. But then take time to not just focus on the intellectual understanding of the word, but to just plug into God's presence. And here's what you do. Remind yourself who God is. Second, ask God to supply you for your specific needs that day. God, I got this test coming up. God, I got this meeting. God, I got this conversation I gotta have with my employee. Stressing me out. And invite God's supply for that specific situation. Third thing, praise God. Tell him how great he is. Praise him for who he is. And yes, even I dare you to sing. You're like, Jason? I'm like, sing. Watch what happens. Number four, thank God for specific things. Specific, thank him for the popsicle. I'm serious. And number five, be vulnerable with God about what you're struggling with. Be vulnerable with God about what you're struggling with and invite him into that place. First Thessalonians 5, make joy your continual feast. Make your life a prayer. Then it goes on and it says this, and in the midst of everything, give thanks because this is God's perfect plan for you in Christ Jesus. Let joy be your feast. Pray all the time and thank God. You have a feast that is spread in front of you right now and tomorrow morning and Thursday afternoon. And the feast is God's oil, God's joy, God's presence, God's Holy Spirit. And the invitation is come and eat what God's got for you. And so I don't know how you feel tonight or what's going on in your life tonight, but I know that there is a feast spread in front of you and it is available for you, but you gotta come to the table and start munching on what God has put in front of you. And he's put his spirit in front of you. He's put his joy in front of you. He's put his presence in front of you. So it's time to take God up on the offer and say, God, I need what you got for me. And if I come to God hungry, my God, will he fill you? He promises to.